Hello, and welcome to another episode of Schlock Tactics, the movie podcast where we believe badder is better and have been reviewing some of the worst films ever made for very nearly three years now. My name is Ash, and today I am not joined by Mark, as unfortunately we are still in the midst of a pandemic and a lockdown, and we just don't want to record unless we can be in the same room and give you the usual kind of standard that we like to uh, like to give you. So instead, I've put together a best of show, which will feature some of the best bits and, more importantly, some of the silliest bits from the last 28 episodes. So yeah, we've been doing this very nearly three years and we've done 28 episodes for you along the way. So I'm going to play you some clips from nearly all 28 of those episodes. I do apologise in advance for the sound quality, especially on some of the earlier ones. We didn't really know what we were doing. Uh, we just wanted to uh, we just wanted to chat nonsense about about bad movies. So hopefully you'll notice uh, an increase in quality uh, as as the years have gone by. Um, but yeah, to tide you over until hopefully we can record a new episode for you, which I hope will be very soon. Here is the very best of Schlock Tactics Volume One. Enjoy. The thing I found most funny about this is that they they called this guy in the middle of the night to say we need to launch you into space hey, yeah. in, in a rocket, and he was like, "Oh, I've, I've just got married, but drag okay. you away from your honeymoon." <laughs> I think his wife had other ideas, but he he was like, "Okay, well, you can launch me into space." And as soon as they launched him into space in the rocket, everyone seemed to sort of go, "What do we do now?" Yeah, and they were like. I don't know why they launched him into space. I don't know what they were planning to do when he got up there, but he got up there in his rocket and sort of went, oh, shit, how do I get back down again? <laughs> and the, the ground control were also saying, how do we get him back down again? And, and I it, thought they would have thought about this ahead of time. And his wife just seemed distraught that they couldn't have sex. <laughs> <laughs> she was looking for a different rocket, obviously. <laughs> but, so he's floating about in space, sort of... Um, so the the writer does decide to get the fuck out of town, and um, this was a great scene. They 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 leave town in their car on the way out of town. His little daughter says she needs the toilet, so they park it by the side of the road, and they basically just say, "Go on then." There's a field there. <laughs> and you're just thinking uh, there are there's murders <laughs> yeah. happening. There's a monster on the loose. There are people being murdered. You know this, and they're just her, her mum doesn't care. She's like, oh, go in that field. And then the dad's like, oh, all right, I'll I guess I'll take her. So he takes her in this field and and, and leave the son behind on his own. <laughs> <laughs> leave the son behind. The mum comes out of the, so basically all of the family are out in this field because the daughter goes behind a bush to have a, a piss. And obviously you're meant to think that Rex is going to be behind the bush. But yeah. then there's actually some sort of dead rabbit. Yeah. So the dad and the mum and the girl are all behind this bush. <laughs> a really funny sequence where the dad... You get this this really far away shot of the bush with the dad's head. And he's looking back at the car. And his son's in the car reading a comic. No problem. Then he bends down to look, to look at the rabbit again. Stands back up. Oh, he's in the car reading a comic, no problem. But again, they do repeat this two or three times, and then all of a sudden he looks up and Rex is just reaching into the car, yeah. grabbing his son, and um, he... I felt sorry for this actor. He has to run to this gate and pretend that he can't open it and he can't fit through this gate that he just went through yeah. <laughs> while his son is being eaten by Rawhead Rex. And as soon as Rex runs off, he opens the gate no problem. And this <laughs> poor sod, this actor, had to pretend that he couldn't open this gate until 
until it was too late. Yeah. Nothing about that scene made sense at all. Oh, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I was just very surprised that this is the child of the protagonist who's been eaten. Yeah. And you think, oh, maybe he'll be taken away and he'll come back. No. He's been eaten. That's <laughs> it. it. Yeah. It's over. And you think, Jesus, that's quite a bold decision to kill a child. Sort of halfway through the film. Yeah. This is probably my favourite bit of the film. While Eve is giving birth to 12 of Bilal's babies, he has been locked inside his basket and is having a wet dream (laughs) where two topless twins, two topless models who are twins, are quoting Shakespeare to him while he sort of gropes them. (laughs) This is bizarre. This actually comes up again after the end credits. I, I noticed that, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somehow I did watch it all the way to the end of the credits, <laughs> and this is referenced again, where Bile is smoking a cigarette. <laughs> is that the only reason they put this in, so they can have a post-credits scene? I don't know. I don't know. Bizarre, but he's having a wet dream, and he's introduced to his 12 um, children, <laughs> which he doesn't seem impressed with. Now, I was, I was a bit concerned, uh, Mark, for you, because at this point, she sort of gets attacked by a seagull. And I know you've, you've recently had a run-in yourself <laughs> with a seagull. In, in fact, you were, you were mugged for your Greg's pasty, isn't that right? That is correct, yeah. Yeah. Did you get horrible flashbacks here during this sequence? I did, yeah. I thought I was having, like, PTSD kind of flashbacks. Yeah. L- luckily, the seagull wasn't that convincing either, as it was also shitty CGI, which... How hard is it to get footage of a seagull? CGI seagulls, CGI cats, probably some other CGI bullshit here. But this this is how Catwoman becomes Catwoman. And Alan has got all these leaves and Ricky's like, where did you get those leaves? He's like, oh, just from the, from the west side of the prison. And Riccio discovers, much to his fucking outrage, that they've been growing opium. Yeah. They've been growing poppies in this prison and making opium out of it. And he will not stop going on about this. Mm-hmm. This is his main issue with these people. <laughs> Worse than all the violence that's <laughs> been happening and all the mistreating of all the prisoners. Worse than, like, skinning people alive. Yeah. Worse than crucifying people. Yeah. Worse than all of this is the fact they've been growing drugs. And you know what? Drugs kill people. Drugs ruin lives. So it's like this weird public service announcement in the middle of this film where Ricky O, he's... He's a he's a fucking maniac yeah. who kills people and punches people's heads off. Oh, he hates drugs. <laughs> I hate heroin. There's weird morality popping up in the middle of this ludicrously violent film. Yeah, and then there's this brilliant <laughs> scene. I mean, you can kind of see it coming. Ice Tea is like, oh man, I've got to relax. You know, I'm I'm seeing leprechauns in mirrors. I need to. <laughs> I'm, I'm bugging out. I need to relax. So he smokes up, and then the leprechaun appears and sort of looks at it and goes, "That's an interesting aroma." <laughs> um, obviously, he's never encountered weed before, so Ice T lets him have a go on on his joints, and he's like, "Oh, that's 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 not bad." Mm. Ice T, yeah, so it's it's the bomb. He goes, "Oh, the bomb is it? Oh." <laughs> Very good. So yeah. So now the leprechaun is getting into weed. This begins the leprechaun's sort of transition into a, into a sort of a pimp gangster rap character, which we'll end up with toward the toward the later part of the film. So we end up fast forwarding, but it's not to 2013. 
And the reason that we know this is that two teenage girls walk past the camera. <laughs> she just very quickly goes, are you going to the Spice Girls concert or are you going to watch Titanic for the 10th time? Yeah. <laughs> very quickly places it in 1997. I mean, I, I knew straight away it was 1997. A lot. I don't think a lot of people would. Obviously, people younger than us might not know yeah. that those things were popular in 97. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they were counting on their audience being roughly our age. Um, <laughs> Are you going to go to see the Spice Girls? Or are you going to go and see Titanic? The two two options in 1997. Uh, <laughs> we mentioned earlier, obviously, this this extended director's cut is half an hour longer than a theatrical cut. It was around this time I started to realise exactly what this half hour consisted of. <laughs> this was fifty percent Pierce Brosnan bare chested with a cigarette recording a monologue. <laughs> And 50% uh, Job mowing somebody's lawn. <laughs> but mostly it was bare-chested Pierce Brosnan smoking and giving a monologue. This came up again and again and again. Never never seen without a cigarette in his hand. And his shirt just open for some reason. He's getting stressed. He needs a fag and a whiskey and to record his monologue. And I couldn't take him seriously because he had a ring in his ear. And I, don't, like, <clears throat> I was used to watching Goldeneye. And I saw him come in looking a few years younger uh, and he had like a, a gold ring in his ear which made him look like kind of sort of like a 21-year-old. But he did have glasses. Yeah. So to indicate he was a scientist. But he was quite a rugged scientist. Yeah. Quite a ruggedly handsome scientist. Yeah. And yeah, you can imagine he got more ladies than your average virtual reality like. expert. <laughs> <laughs> but then we get the uh, the infamous... Buster Rhymes versus Michael Myers <laughs> fight sequence. Which it kicks him in the head. <laughs> it's it's short but iconic. Yeah, because this is where you get Buster Rhymes channeling his kung fu knowledge and doing these karate kicks. <laughs> because as we all know, rappers love kung fu. Yeah, if there's anything they love, they and they know how to do kung fu. So buster rhymes is able to to kick him in the head a few times and to do some like jackie chan moves and then kicks him out the window yeah (laughs) kicks him right out the window (laughs) sarah finds herself in the sort of control center where uh where tyra banks was earlier i've got no idea what happened to (laughs) tyra banks uh i assume she's dead but um she's not in the control center anymore so sarah is able to go in there but then michael myers comes in there picks up a chainsaw from the corner and starts um, trying to kill him with that. Oh, yeah, and then it stops <laughs> working. So she throws the chainsaw at him <laughs> instead, which is great. She, I love this bit, she um, fell over and couldn't get back up again because she was <laughs> trapped under a tiny little soundboard with some wires coming it's out like, of it. It's like, no! <laughs> I can't move! Get this off my ankle! <laughs> it's like, oh, it's not like a girder or something like typical. It was like literally a piece of recording equipment yeah. about the size of a, an iPad. It was falling on her leg. Ludicrous. Did you know that Turkish Star Wars was originally two and a half hours long? Really? And they were told that this was too long. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was clock watching the whole time I was watching this film. (laughs) The director was told this was too long for a mainstream, um, you know, uh, Turkish uh, audience. (laughs) So you need to cut an hour, which they did. So we got down to, I think, just under an hour and a half. Yeah. Imagine being told you have to cut an hour of a film. 
to be honest, he didn't really cut an hour. He just sped up a lot of it yeah. and, and cut it that much quicker. Mm-hmm. So he cut out all the messing about. This is why this film goes a million miles an hour. How can I avoid cutting scenes? Well, let's just speed them up. <laughs> let's just go at like times four, times five speed, which is sort of what he did. We get this sort of montage then of what happens to him while he is um, in this prison camp. Without a shred of irony, we get a Madonna song played over footage of someone being tortured. (laughs) I mean, undoubtedly. Even if you don't think that this is the worst Bond film, which you should, you can't. No one can deny that the song "Die Another Day" by Madonna is not just the worst Bond theme, but one of the worst pieces of shit. It's awful. Ever created. It's so bad. Even for the time in 2002, there was some really awful pop yeah. and dance music. But this is just, it's just this perfect storm of Madonna discovering shit dance music and vocoder. And the lyrics are super basic. They don't have anything to do with the film. Like Any impact that this op- the opening of this film had is just destroyed <laughs> by this completely disjointed shit piece of music. <laughs> And under this uh, this music, we get this sort of terrible CGI of um, like scorpions crawling around, um, sort of people who are made of fire and people who are made of ice. Yeah. To suggest I don't know what diamonds. You know, it's just like the old Bond opening credits were always great because they were not CGI. They're organic. Yeah, they yeah. didn't have all these terrible effects. And, yeah. and this is this must be the most digital of them all, and it looks. Really shit. Yeah. But, and it goes on for fucking ever. They play the whole song. Another day, yeah. another day, another day. It was towards fucking the end. Stop. Like the, um, stop. It came back in again. And I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> why is it still going on? <laughs> so, I mean, to be fair, it can't possibly get any worse than that. And I, and I would say that it doesn't. <laughs> at least audibly. Um, <laughs> but we, we cut to 14 months later. And Pierce Brosnan is in his prison cell and he looks like Robinson Crusoe with like really long hair <laughs> and a massive beard to indicate he's been in a prison camp. Mm. There's a series of decapitations quite close together. Again, this body count has to has to be got through. It's quite relentless. <laughs> yeah, there's these kids that are opening their presents on Christmas Day. Again, unnecessary swearing. Mm. They're like, open your presents. Thanks, Mum. I will open my fucking presents. <laughs> I hope you got me some good shit this year. <laughs> Why? Um, they open the presents and both of their heads get blown off. And, this, and the nan just looks at Cameron and goes, fuck. <laughs> I don't seem too distraught. <laughs> it's great. If you like old people swearing, this film's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go back to the deli again, which, which is you know, a, a set I really appreciate. And there's lots of sight gags in this film. So not only are there like loads of Jewish jokes, but if you if you just look on like signs on the wall or like patches on people's outfits, they've crammed so many gags in here. It's like airplane. Yeah. You have to watch it a couple of times to catch them all. Mm. Uh, but Santa breaks into the deli. We finally get Goldberg's world famous finishing move, the spear. He spears him through the sort of deli cabinet and then kills him by taking the uh, traditional Jewish candelabra, the menorah, I believe it's called. Oh yeah and um, stabbing a guy through the neck with it. If, it. I feel if you didn't get the Jewish references before now, you get it now. But if you didn't get it, he walks outside and bumps into some Orthodox Jews <laughs> and hisses at them really loudly. <laughs> so we're rolling now with the Jewish jokes. We're getting there. I think everyone's like, hang on. 
Goldberg is playing Santa. Straight back in the office again. Alva! Alva! He comes out into the office, jumps on a desk and says, there you are! And then just chases her all around the office. She's just terrified of this fucking executive maniac. coke fueled mania. Chases her um, through like the offices, chases her into the women's bathroom. He's freaking out in his apartment. He's kicking uh, lampshades, turning over sofas. So um, this is where he's starting to go mad and thinking that he is a vampire. Hmm. So he looks and he screams into a mirror, what's happening to me? (laughs) Therapy session again, therapy session, freaking out, therapy session, shouting at Alva, therapy session. (laughs) Meeting a young woman for sex or maybe vampire activities <laughs> is the is the routine here. Oh, but in the, in the therapy session we are, are we get the probably the most famous uh, bit of this film. What I call the alphabet freak out. Oh yeah. So this is where he's talking again about the contract. Why can't you find the contract? It's easy. You just put it in the filing cabinet. And therapist is like, well, people do misfile things. He's misfile. like, what? <laughs> misfile? I've never misfiled anything in my life. Not once! <laughs> He's like, it's easy. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A. <laughs> Just reciting the alphabet, and this is a part of the film I saw long before I actually saw the film. It's great. And then she goes, yeah. very good, you know your alphabet. Yeah. Starts to wear sunglasses all the time and starts smoking in the office as well. <laughs> and um, some of the women he walks past just go, he's so eccentric. Yeah. <laughs> Sister Oak, the innkeeper, is talking to someone downstairs in the pub and he starts coming down the stairs and she starts saying something really sarcastically like, oh, you look like you've had a hell of a day. Yeah, yeah, not so fresh now, are you? And he just very slowly, very casually walks over to her and punches her right in the <laughs> face. And this is the first of, of, of many, many instances of Nick Cage beating the shit out of women. This is what characterises the third act of this film. Nick Cage punches women, uh, or karate kicks women, one of those. And I think these are the accusations of uh, uh, misogyny levelled at the director, perhaps, that uh, this was uh, male-on-female violence. But then again, you know, it's the decision to make most of the, the cast females and that the fact that this island is, is run by females, who else is he going to fight? You know, yeah. it's like kind of fenced yourself in if you want to have Nick Cage having a fist fight which you don't have to yeah and Edward Woodward didn't have a fist fight in the original Wicker Man but this is Nick Cage we're gonna have yeah. to punch someone yeah oh shit we haven't got any other male actors he's <laughs> gonna have to punch women yeah perhaps that's not a good idea <laughs> there's no there's no like there's no choice though he's gotta punch someone <laughs> he's gotta punch someone so he starts with like this slightly older fat woman and works his way down an incredible piece of shit, really. Um, I, I wasn't expecting much. My expectations were absolute zero, and they were not met. Um, this is directed by someone called Ethan Cohen. No, not Which Ethan very Cohen. very close to Ethan, yeah. It's not Ethan Cohen, I wish it were. Ethan uh, must be really worried about people getting that mixed up. How fucking dare you? Change, I, I insist you change your name more. Um... The, the IMDb says a humorous take. I, it's I, already I, wrong. I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where where to start with this? I mean, you, like you say, you don't you don't expect it to be very funny with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley doing English accents and portraying English gentlemen. But fucking hell, I didn't laugh at this anything. This was awful. 
I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to laugh at anything. It wasn't it wasn't so bad. It was good. It was just no so awful, it's so boring. I like I really struggled not to zone out while I was watching. Yeah, this. I was just bored, and it was just cringy, like not in a good way. I was just like, this yeah. is not funny. I don't. I just yeah. I'm desperate to know who found this funny. Yeah. <laughs> who who laughed at these jokes? Like I wanna I wanna go back in time into the cinema and, and, and find someone and just shake them and say, What the fuck are you laughing at? What are you laughing at? Yeah, I mean there's they obviously go for a lot of jokes. And I notice a lot of the humour in this a good example of, of the type of humour in this is when um Will Ferrell says I've got a brilliant disguise, turns around and puts a big mustache on, turns back around hmm. and Holmes or Watson rather is where have you gone, Sherlock? Where have you gone? Yeah. He's like, no, it is me. I just have a disguise. That's that's the level here. Yeah. That's, and that's one of the better jokes, maybe. <laughs> um, and then we are. 30 minutes into the film enters Marlon Brando looking mm. ridiculous <laughs> uh, as Dr. Moreau. This is all his own idea. The way he was look, you know, he was dressed like some sort of pope with like white face and a lampshade on his head. This is all him. There was no costuming department here. This is him deciding how he was going to play this character. Brought in on a sort of a... It looks like a Pope-mobile. It's like a Jeep. But it's yeah. like a Pope-mobile. And he's got... Yeah, he's got all this weird shit on his face, which he explains later is because he can't stand the heat and the sun. So that's why he looks like a sort of geisha girl. Yeah, just looks ridiculous. And you start, you start to get his... Um, his dialogue in this film, which is incomprehensible, ninety hmm. percent incomprehensible. Yeah, the people do like jokey impressions of him in The Godfather, but this is even worse. <laughs> Doing some sort of like half-assed English accent, maybe, yeah. um, but mostly just hasn't got his teeth in, and it's just <laughs> what, what, what? You need subtitles for this. Film. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Marlon Brando famously never learned his lines, and um, for this film, as with other films at the time, he wore a tiny radio transmitter in his ear where people were feeding him lines remotely. And this would also sometimes pick up police radio as well. <laughs> and one of my favourite stories about this film, and I, it's it's on the IMDb trivia and Wikipedia, is that Marlon Brando stopped in the middle of a take and repeated what was being said on the police radio and just said, there's been a robbery at Woolworths. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were shooting in Australia and I guess Woolworths was a thing in Australia as well. But that's like, amazing. That's the weirdest bit of trivia on this film. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but there's been a robbery at Woolworths. <laughs> I wonder how long it took him to sort of realise that I didn't relate to the film uh, at all. Yeah. Mad Wait a minute, or, what have I just said? How long it took everyone else to realise yeah. that that wasn't in the script. <laughs> yeah. They just went along with it for a while. Okay. So what about this robbery? <laughs> yeah. Where's this Woolworths you want to But like, if you watch him when he's doing it in his film, you can sometimes see him like looking up weirdly to the top right of the camera where perhaps there's a big cue card. Hmm. Or sometimes just stopping in the middle of a line and kind of going... Uh, uh, well, you, you can tell he's having it fed into his ear. It's just yeah. it's dreadful. <laughs> um, he obviously didn't care. Kylie Minogue sucks off a carrot. Um, strange she's wearing these tiny sort of jungle shorts like um, jungle explorer shorts throughout the film which which I did enjoy Uh, and the end is sucking off a carrot so yeah you can imagine the impression it's made on me as a 13 year old 
<laughs> we can, I think genuinely one of the, the, the MVPs of the film is the Russell character. Deadpan, kind of miserable guy that I think is meant to be going out with, uh, with um, Monique's mother. It's vaguely referenced, but he's constantly sitting around in her house. <laughs> she comes in and says, there's beer in the trash in the, in the bedroom. There's beer in the trash in the kitchen. There's beer in the trash in the garage. What does that tell you? We're out of beer. <laughs> But like deadpan, it's brilliant. That actor looks familiar as well. But yeah, um, but he's he's really good in this. She asks him to go out and get beer, and he says, "I can't because I hurt my bladder rollerblading." <laughs> <laughs> deadpan. Fantastic scene here where Dennis Hopper goes to a chainsaw shop. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> he says, oh, "I'd like to buy a chainsaw. I'd like to buy a couple of chainsaws." Okay. <laughs> so he has two sort of mini ones. Um, like handheld, I guess you could say, so he can sort of dual wield them, like something from Doom. Or something. And then he gets like a super long one, and he's like, "Do you mind if I try them out?" He's like, "Go ahead." And then he starts like massacring this log, <laughs> flailing around like mad. And the guy who's like he's works in the shop, t- you'd think he'd be like, "Whoa, like calm down," but he, he doesn't give a shit. He's just loving it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the guy that runs the shop is fucking getting a hard on watching Dennis Hopper beat the shit out of a log. He's not he's even like <laughs> sorry through the log. He's just like chopping at the side of it. Like. He's just taking lumps of bark off. Yeah, it's so it's weird. fucking mental. <laughs> Such a weird scene. This is just normal in Texas. Like it's such a, a tradition there. Chainsaws, you know. I, perhaps this is meant to be satire, but I don't think so. Um, there's a lot of euphemisms in this film where men have uh, encounters with the space girl, and afterwards they say something like, "It was uh, the power she had was amazing. The uh, the atmosphere I felt I was under." Any of those words are only ever euphemisms for what a cracking pair of tits. Yeah, yeah. Um, that she I had, had a hard on the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> What he means. So um, she 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 sucks him, but not in the way he'd like. She sucks his energy out of him and mummifies him. This is the first of many of these sequences where the space aliens just sort of come up to you and like a lightning comes out of your face. And she starts wandering around this sort of um, military facility. There's a great scene where it's a guard sitting at his desk and. You see the silhouette of her tits enter the shop before yeah. she does. <laughs> I mean, Matilda May's tits should win some sort of award here. They're, they're their own character, they're their own um, entity. Here. <laughs> um, there's lots of people wandering about while sort of cockney working class guards go, Why, have you seen that girl naked? She's not, there's no naked girl you're having me on. Oh, oh, no, no. oh my god. Bloody hell. Oh, God, blimey. There's a guard trying to coax her down the stairs by sort of waving a, a biscuit at her. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> she eventually explodes the windows of the facilities and just wanders off. Josh is, is beckoned over to the window where the hallucination of his dead grandpa is again. He says, it's very important that you do not let them eat that food. Whatever you do, do not let them eat that food. You have 30 seconds. <laughs> it's like a fucking weird game show. And then, so he turns around and his family are just freeze frame. They're not moving for some reason. And he, they say he has 30 seconds. He walks around and sort of scratches his chin for, I would say, about 
two minutes <laughs> as they're freeze framed. And this is just, it's just, mm, oh, what can I do? And it's just all building up to this ludicrous scene where he stands on a chair and undoes his fly. And you're just thinking, what the fuck is going to happen here? And they don't show it, but the implication is that he pisses all over the food. Uh, yeah. And they're scraping off the food into the bin. It's just ri- ridiculous. It's um, unfreeze because the dad just gets really angry. Yeah. <laughs> His sister, his dad, his dad kind of picks him up over the shoulder and like stomps around the house trying to find a an appropriate room to to give him a telling off. <laughs> um, his sister says that's going to be a big spanking for a little shit, <laughs> which is a great line. But this is all leading up to uh, the dad's uh, star moment in this film. His his line that uh, he's been repeating for years now at conventions: "You can't piss on hospitality." <laughs> There's this very strange gag here, which doesn't quite land. Where for a long time he seems to be um, undoing his belt as though he's going to give him a a, a seeing to with the yeah. belt. He's like, "Oh no, what are you going to do?" And he's like, "I'm tightening my belt <laughs> so I won't have to eat." Something about hunger pangs or something like. So, so if you're not going to eat, pangs. I'm not going to eat. Yeah. So the kids' punishment is that the rest of the family aren't going to eat for like two days. <laughs> Very strange. The way he delivers the line is just ridiculous as well. Yeah, it's convoluted. It doesn't make any sense. Again, this is poor translation from Italian, I think. So yeah, now the family are are inexplicably on hunger strike. Jeremy is is sort of getting down to business with Lemire. And he says, how old are you anyway? (laughs) And she says... Oh, I'm going to be 15. We, we start pissing ourselves and we laugh over the next little bit of dialogue. Oh, yeah. And then, then we see them fucking in the sacred temple pool. So we're thinking this guy has just violated a 14-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> we're panicking. But uh, on closer inspection, uh, <laughs> we rewound the film. And it turns out she says, I'm going to be 15. And then really quietly, no, I'm actually 19. Yeah, I'm 19, <laughs> silly. And he's like, oh, that's fine then. Just like he's suddenly like, start fucking that crazy. Thrusting in the, in the little lagoon um, for a good three minutes while, then, while her parents get eaten. After that, you find out she's 17. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, no. And then he's like, wait, is that legal here? Yeah, which it almost certainly is. Yeah. yeah. And then she gets eaten anyway, so who cares? <laughs> he, 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 he might have uh, very much become a, a nonce, but it's fine because she's just been eaten by a crocodile, so we won't worry about that now. There's many one-liners here, which, which, we, which we mentioned. Every now and then, Colonel Guy will have a one-liner, and one of them is like, I'm the repo man, and I'm coming to get my money. And then there's another one like, I'm a collection agency. And you're six months overdue. Yeah. Where the, who's writing this <laughs> horseshit for Jean-Claude Van Damme to deliver? Because it is terrible. It's like it gets more and more mediocre and menial as it goes on. And he's basically saying the same thing, but in a different way. Just like but, different yeah, wording, I, I'm the like... repo man, and I'm the collections agency. That is the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bailiff, and I'm coming for your TV. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I work. I work for the job centre, and uh, you've we've overpaid you. Your gyro. Like, what? How far do you want to go with this? Like, I'm the gardener, and I'm coming to cut your grass. Like, it doesn't work. Let's make a whole film out of this. Yeah. 
at least be something like I'm an undertaker and I'm going to put you in a coffin. At least that would have been like yeah. dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> this is so like it's such admin. I'm a repo man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what he does is he states an occupation and then explains it. So I'm a repo man, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take what's yours. I'm a collection, so I'm coming for your debt. Like yeah, I know what I know what these occupations are. <laughs> oh, it just makes no I'm sense. I'm an insurance broker, and you haven't paid your premium. <laughs> I'm a traffic warden, and you're parked illegally. <laughs> you could do this all day. Like none, none of this relates to the film, or is cool or edgy in any way. <laughs> I don't understand it at all. <laughs> yeah, missteps with the one-liners here. <laughs> so yeah, I was I was inspired by uh, Kevin Costner's swimming. I'm sure you guys were as well. Um, but he does escape with Helen in illness, and most importantly, the tomato plant. If that was my favourite action scene, then what follows next is my favourite comedy scene. <laughs> <laughs> because this is fucking amazing. There's no way that this wasn't meant to be funny. So, D- Deacon has lost an eye during this battle. <laughs> so, he gets someone to fit him with uh, an artificial eye. But obviously, they can only work with the, the scrap material of the future. So, I don't know what, what they've used him. <laughs> he asks all his cronies, you know, how does it look? And they're like, oh, it looks great. It looks great. I like it better than your real eye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You get some zingers in here. Yeah. And uh, a little kid says, it looks like shit. And he's like, well, kids will always be honest with you. And then he's given a mirror. It does look like shit. <laughs> it looks like shit. And it feels like cold shit. Yeah. Oh, man. That was great. And he, he still has time to say, I'll keep an eye out for, <laughs> uh, for that Mariner guy. This film was awful it's, it's absolutely terrible it's painfully unfunny like not even i couldn't even really laugh at it in an ironic way it was just oh like, some of the scenes went on for way too long oh, there's no, a bit yeah. that they got stopped by the police oh my god it went on for about 20 minutes it was insane it was just like okay he's gonna come to the window in a minute just make sure you're cool yeah i am gonna be fine yeah yeah well, he's going to come in a minute. Yeah, well, I know. Well, I will. And it'll go round the car. Every character oh, yeah. will have a dialogue. And it'll come back. Policeman's going to come to... Well, just fucking hurry up then. Yeah. If a policeman's going to come through the window, just fucking do it. What's with all the fucking runaround? All of the characters were annoying. <laughs> <laughs> the, the plot was almost, almost non-existent. And then it kind of came together. I mean, there was a funeral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which you'd expect. The guy's guy, uh, brother was cheating on, like... Yeah. Uh, like his, yeah, there was a cheating thing, and it got exposed by the fact that the <laughs> the old guy died while having sex with the woman. In the room next door at yeah. the hotel. That was the plot, which was stupid, and it got dragged out so ridiculously. Um, yes. Uh, it was just terrible. It was uh, so bad. I, d- I can't believe this script got past, like, anyone. But the thing is, this is a Tyler Perry production. He's got yeah. his own he film studio. Yeah, he can't stop anything. No one can stop him. No. He just needs to find someone that can distribute it, and yeah. they will, because these films are hugely successful. And he'll pay the actors to... Do whatever. Like. Tyler Perry was voted, uh, or not voted, Tyler Perry was the highest paid man in entertainment in 2011. 
In what? entertainment, that's film, TV, anything. Oh he made God. the most money. So he's actually a millionaire. That's from, so depressing. From, <laughs> <laughs> not only has he become a millionaire from these films, he's been allowed to make as many as he fucking wants oh. <laughs> with the money he's made from these films. Oh, Liam, what did you think of a Medea family funeral? I fucking hated this film. <laughs> I knew from the moment I saw it and what it was, I would absolutely hate it. I saved this till last because I couldn't put myself through anything else after this. <laughs> but what Mark said was true. It was about 10 minutes of story drawn out into an hour and a half with pointless comedy skits that weren't funny. Yeah. And oh, some of the characters, there was one woman not played by Tyler Perry that Hattie character <laughs> to narrow it down <laughs> the really short like the short yeah, yeah the short oh god and I yeah, swear god. I had to pause every time she started talking because it, it grated in my brain <laughs> she grated so in a spot so that much. I couldn't <laughs> I've never felt before <laughs> would you believe me if I told you that this entire film was shot in under a week yes <laughs> Yeah. Two days, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that includes editing. <laughs> oh, it was painful. Um, <laughs> it's just bad, like really bad, because there's just very little plot. Mm-hmm. Like there's large sections of the, the film where it's just the garbage pail kids just dicking around and it's not entertaining, it's not funny. But I think it's they not... thought it would be. That's yeah. The, they think, well, look, if kids like looking at these characters on trading cards yeah what if these characters came to life and actually farted and pissed wouldn't yeah. that be brilliant <laughs> yeah just the endless farting and pissing which sounds funny when i'm describing it but it, it's not worth it <laughs> it's, it's actually quite nightmarish to watch yeah yeah and alligator just seems to take the kind of center stage he seems to be one of the main yeah. garbage pale kids which is like, weird because he's not human looking at all no. he's just a little crocodile yeah yeah and alligator is not far enough from alligator. <laughs> it's not a good. It's enough. not a great pun, is it? No. no. I mean, um, there are plenty more of the characters they could have chosen for this film, but that was the best one I think they thought. So the uh, the film opens with quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting scene to begin with. You get a sort of a fake sort of pink logo, which makes you think it's not going to be a horror film. Although surely all the marketing was yeah, that was weird. Why horror was based, so I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't. It was. It can't possibly be a twist that oh, you thought this was going to be a like a, a light-hearted comedy, and it's actually a horror film. Like, and it was like a curly font as well. Yeah, right? curly pink like <laughs> Thelma and Louise font. Yeah, like you must have marketed this as a horror film. If you didn't, then you're an idiot. Yeah. Um. So why would that? Why would that be a twist? You know. Uh, you do get young young Emily Browning here as uh, I think Katie, uh, the young girl. There's a sort of blissful scene where um, there's a sort of lounge singer uh, singing. Everyone's sort of dancing on the deck. It's just this sort of picturesque scene where everyone's having a great time on this cruise ship, having the time of their lives. Pretty similar to the one of the opening early scene in Deep Rising. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything's fine until um and here we have this this infamous scene. So as they're dancing, you see this machinery sort of winding up, these cables being wound around a sort of cog, and then all of a sudden you see this wire sort of fly through this this crowd of dancing people and then tighten at the other side just with blood dripping on it. So I I think I've seen enough films to know what this means. I think by this point, um, you know what's going to come next. And then very slowly, and to their credit, it's very slow. People sort of just 
droop a little. Um, some people's clothes sort of fall off <laughs> below us, below the waist or below the, the below the sternum. Um, little little rivulets of blood start dripping from parts, and you're like, "Yeah, come on, come yeah. on, we know we know what's going to happen." And then, yeah, obviously they've all been bisected. Bisected is <laughs> is the word I wrote several times. <laughs> bisected by cheese wire is what's happened here. I was thinking garroted, um, and I was like, "No, bi- bisected is better." Bisected by cheese wire is the name of my death metal album, <laughs> and I think it's great because they're all bisected at slightly different parts of their bodies which they would because they'd all be different heights so some of them are through the chest some have been completely cleaved in half and their guts are hanging out yeah um one guy's been got through the sort of mouth so he's got like a chelsea smile and Mm. then the top portion of his head slides off yeah this is fucking this awesome. This is quite. Oh, this is quite impressive. Like <laughs> this was actually considering the rest of the film we'll get into wasn't scary. This was quite horrific. It was amazing. Yeah. If I didn't know what I obviously did know, I would have gotten really excited and thought this film's going to be brilliant. I mean, but because I already knew that that wasn't going to happen. But people seeing this in two thousand two must have been like, fucking hell, <laughs> what's going on? This like, is the, the best scene. horror film. This is going to be the best <laughs> horror film ever. Like imagine. Imagine the crushing disappointment when they got to the end. <laughs> they peaked too soon with this film. What What did you think of this scene, seeing it for the first time? It was ever, pretty like... good. Like it was, it wasn't entirely without cheese because there were people's like faces, facial expressions were just like, ah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a fish out of water. But it was yeah. pretty, um, it was pretty gory. Like it wasn't just a flash of like one or two people. It mm. went through m- many different characters who had been bisected in different areas, different of their body. stages. Yeah. And then, and then there's that bit where the woman's on the floor, and like her upper half with her arms are like trying to grab her lower half <laughs> and put her back together. Um, it gets a which, bit a bit panto, yeah, which yeah. was kind of a bit ridiculous. Yeah. But it was still kind mm. of horrifying. It was still, it was yeah. still kind of like, oh, that's pretty grim in a cool way. Um, so yeah, I did actually really enjoy this scene. I thought it was really cool. Okay, so that was the best of Schlock Tactics Volume 1, some of our favourite bits from the show from the last nearly three years uh, of doing the podcast. Please do subscribe to the podcast. You'll be notified when we can finally record a new episode for you. Um, give us a rating on iTunes. That really helps us get the, the podcast out there as well. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. By all means, you know, message us chat about bad films we, we, we want to still talk about bad films even though we can't put out a, an episode of the podcast at the moment let's keep talking about bad movies and let's keep uh, you know trying to look on the bright side uh, during this uh, this horrible period that we're going through so yeah we'll hopefully be back with you very soon hope you've enjoyed the best of volume one and i hope we can continue to record shows uh, in the near future and, and carry on for for many years to come thanks for listening bye